podcast. I am Jenna, lawyer by training, writer and teacher by choice. Originally from New York, I am a proud wife and mother living in Los Angeles. Join me as we delve into the Holy Torah's teachings and apply them to our lives. I keep it short and sweet, but always deep. Welcome. I want to speak about how we respond to tragedy from a Jewish perspective in light of what happened in Meron this past week, where 45 Jewish people were killed celebrating Lagba Omer. I want to dedicate this class to all of the people who passed away in this tragedy, and specifically to Eliezer Yitzchak Koltai, a 13-year-old boy who passed away in this tragedy. Their soul should have an aliyah and shemaim and ascent and their families should be comforted with the mourners of Zion and Yerushalayim. Okay, so a little bit of background. Basically, every year on Lagba Omer, as I spoke about in last week's podcast, thousands of people basically make a pilgrimage to Meron, which is in northern Israel. It's like a little mountain, basically, in northern Israel, um, Mount Meron, to be by the kever, the grave of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who was essentially the father of Kabbalah, and this is his yard site. Last year, because of COVID, there weren't many people who went to Meron, and this year, there was actually many less people than there normally are. Normally, there is upwards of 200,000 people, and this year, there was about 90,000 people. I don't want to get into exactly what happened and that could easily very much turn into a sort of blame game. But basically the police had barricaded one of the two entries and exits and it resulted in a big pileup of uh, backup, I should say, of people. And there was a steep incline and somebody at the top fell, causing like a domino effect and many people fell on each other and were crushed by body weight. And obviously 45 people died and over 100 people were critically injured. From this horrible, horrific, almost like a freak accident. I woke up the morning after and I didn't I hadn't yet checked my phone and my husband came rushing in and he said, Did you hear what happened in Mayron? And I said, No. And he said, 45 people died. And I, I couldn't even wrap my head around. Like I, I didn't even understand what he was saying and what he was talking about. And obviously there was some confusion, but as the days went on, more became revealed and on Friday, I was told that a family we know, the Koltai family in Harnof, had a child, a 13-year-old boy that was missing. And on Shabbos, we found out that he was one of the dead. And Saturday night, my husband went to the funeral. It was at 12 a.m. because in Jewish tradition, we, we bury as quickly as possible. And he came back from the funeral at 2 a.m. and he told me that the wailing of the women and, and seeing this 13-year-old boy's body wrapped in a talus, which is the custom here in Israel for at a funeral. His little body wrapped in a talus, it was just, it was almost too much to bear. I know many people, including myself, have been very shaken from this tragedy and, and almost confused because it's like, how could Hashem have allowed this to happen on such a holy day, a day that's supposed to be a day of celebration? But it's in these times specifically 
when tragedy strikes that we have to remember that everything is ultimately from Hashem and nothing is random. And I heard from a rabbi this past week in response to the tragedy that this is specifically why when we say the Shema, you know, when we say Shema, what are we saying? Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Everything is from Hashem. Everything, the same Hashem who grants brachas is the same Hashem who takes lives when it's their time. And when we cover our eyes, when we say the Shema, it's, it's a symbol that even in the dark, we know that this is true. We know that everything is from Hashem. Last night, I had the merit to go pay a shiva call to the Koltai family. And his mother, they called him Ozzy, the boy who passed away. Ozzy's mother, Sue, is such a pillar of strength. I was blown away by this woman sitting there talking about her son. And she was saying how these souls that, that passed away at Mehron, it wasn't random. It wasn't an accident. They were handpicked by Hashem. Ozzy's mother, Sue, described how her son, who was normally very diligent in Torah study, the, pa- the month before he died, this past month, he would come home every day for lunch, which he never did. And he's not someone who even like cared so much about food. He was a very spiritual type of person. But he would come home every day this past month to just spend time with his family at lunchtime. In Israel, it's a custom more than in America to come home during lunch and the family eats together. Um... He would come home and what she said, he was learning the halachos of Avelis, the laws of mourning this past month, just like on his own. He just decided to start learning that. And next year he was meant to go to away to yeshiva, like, you know, 10 minutes away from his home, but he would be dorming there. And he kept telling his family, you know, next year he said, he would say, I'm going away soon. I'm, I'm, go- and they're, I'm going to yeshiva soon. And they kept saying, what do you mean? You're going like 10 minute bus right away. And he's like, you're going to miss me. I'm going away. He kept telling them. It was as if his, his neshama, his soul knew that his time was coming. His mother said this was a boy who took his, his prayers very seriously, his Torah learning very seriously, but he was never judgmental to anyone. He was always kind. He loved to play with children and he was always, he was a fun, happy kid, but he really took his religious responsibilities very seriously. And he always did what he thought was the right thing to do, whether or not he felt like it, which is a very unique quality for, for a 13 year old to have. The souls that were chosen at Mehron were Kadoshim. They're really holy, special souls. I read a story of a man, Rav Shimon Matalon, who also passed away at Mehron. And the story goes that a paramedic was coming to save his life essentially. And he said, there's a child over there who needs you more. The child's life is more important. And he basically sacrificed his life for the child to be saved. My friend told me a story, another story that there were two boys who took turns. They had a little breathing hole, a tiny hole where they could breathe while they were waiting for help. And they each took turns so that they could get enough oxygen. We're an unbelievable people. And when you hear these things, you're like, why would Hashem do this? And the ultimate answer that I'm going to say is we don't know why. We will maybe never know why. And I'm certainly not in a position to to offer any possible explanations of why this tragedy needed to happen. I remember Rebetzin Youngrice saying, Rebetzin Youngrice was a Holocaust survivor, and she came out of the Holocaust, and they didn't ask her and her family why. They asked, what now? And they went on to build a whole community in New York and inspired thousands of of Jewish people. 
So we're not going to ask why. We're going to ask what now. That's the appropriate response to tragedy from a Jewish perspective. Charlie Harari, who is a Torah teacher and a businessman and an amazing inspirational speaker, made a video after the tragedy, and he said something that relates exactly to what we spoke about last week on the podcast relating to Lagba Omer. He said, after Rabbi Akiva saw 24,000 of his students killed, he, he didn't ask why. He asked, what now? And he kept going. He chose to keep teaching. And it was the Torah that he taught to his five new students after the tragedy, one of whom was Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, which we're celebrating specifically on Lagba Omer. This Torah, our Torah, survived because Rabbi Akiva chose to transmit it to these five new students. Our Torah comes through destruction. Our Torah comes from rising from the ashes and continuing to spread light. As I said, we're not going to give reasons for why this happened because we don't know. But for sure, when these types of tragedies happen, they're a wake-up call. They should be a huge wake-up call to all of us. And we need to learn from Rabbi Kiva and be resilient. This is what Charlie Harari was saying, and this is actually exactly what we were speaking about last week. We need to choose to be resilient. We need to live more, appreciate more, care more for those who don't have another day. We need to continue to spread light after the destruction. Sue Koltai last night at the Shiva said that she's encouraging everyone to take on one small thing, one very small thing, one small act of improvement in, in some way, whether it's a certain character trait to work on, learning a little bit about the laws of proper speech, um, you know, taking on any little um, mitzvah, anything, saying a blessing with more intention. I mean, everyone knows what they can work on or one little small step they can take in their own lives, but she's encouraging everyone to take one small step, one something for these lives that were taken. And so God willing, we'll never have another tragedy like this again. This week we're, we're reading Parsha's Behar Bechuchosai, two Parshas, and in Parshas Behar, we read about Shemitah, which is every seven years, the land in Eretz Israel is meant to have a break and to lie fallow and, and not to be planted or gardened. It's like a Shabbos for the land every seven years, and farmers cannot farm. And also every seven years, if somebody owned a slave, back then they had slavery, and that's a whole other discussion. It's not the slavery we think of um, in American history where many of the slaves were treated brutally. There was many laws of, of how to properly treat a slave. If you only have one pillow, you have to give the slave your pillow. Um, a different type of slavery, but yes, it did exist um, way back when. And so the law was that if somebody owned a slave, after seven years, they have to let them free. And so it's like, what's going on here? And the idea is that everything, the land, the slaves, are returning to their source. They're returning to their original owner, Hashem. Because really, we don't own anything in this world. We don't really own our land. We don't really own our bodies. We don't own our souls. Eventually, when it's our time, we're going to return to our source. So these precious souls have returned to their source. They return to Hashem. And one day, God willing, after many, many long, healthy years, we will too. And this whole tragedy is just a sobering reminder of where we're going and we need to ask ourselves, are we living each day with this mentality and in the most meaningful way possible? Because as my Rav in LA, Rabbi Graydon said, the parents who lost these, these children would give 
anything for five more minutes for the, to be with their child? Do we appreciate the time with our children? To sum up, the tragedy in Maron was not random. Hashem selected these souls to return to their source. And we don't know why, but we can ask ourselves, what now? And we can choose to move forward by choosing one small act, one small way to bring more light to the world in honor of these neshamos and hopefully so that a tragedy like this never befalls us again. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast and share. And if you could write a review on Apple Podcasts, I would be so grateful. Take care.